And this is the municipal. Have you been paying attention to like city stuff? Don't vote, can't bitch. Sorry to uh, to point that finger at you. My answer was that would be yes and no. My tummy hurts, and I'm mad at the government. You're saying council wouldn't approve it, and two, you're robbing them of their their voice. It's it's he's already he's already failed to uphold. And welcome to another episode of the Municipals. I'm Matthew, and I'm Philip. And today we're joined by a 2023 municipal uh, municipal candidate for mayor and also criminal defense lawyer, Nia Singh. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And so, right off the bat, I mean, I've heard you talk. I'm not sure if if, if Philip's heard you talk, but just. Briefly, your top line plan, maybe address three key areas that you would address should you win the mayor's chair, and then we'll jump in with questions as we go along. Yeah, key major issues that I would address is homelessness, mental health, and safety in the city. Awesome. And um, would you like to expound on each one of them or just a little bit? Yeah, I I don't mind. I see them all as very highly interconnected. Um. Mental health is the primary issue, I think, facing Toronto. However, homelessness, to me, um, can influence mental health. So when we have people who are unable to afford to rent a home or buy a home, and then they're being evicted from their premises, um, that leads to instability, which leads to further uh, mental health issues or mental health issues that start. Um, I can tell you on the campaign in 2022, I was visiting the park and at Allen's Gardens, and I ran into somebody who was a professional who had their own business, and they were now homeless. And they had explained that um, things just didn't go well, and they couldn't afford somewhere, and and now they're out in the, you know, in the parks. Now, I don't know where they're at now, um, but I can see that as the precursor to unfortunate things going on. Because if that person is unable to find stable housing, eventually the moving around the lack of stability um, and the depression that follows can create more mental health issues. Um, I have a a young adult who I've been helping since 14. Um, She's always relied on me for moral support. But again, she doesn't have a place to stay. She's been couch surfing. And that's actually led into some issues where she's getting into conflict with people because without a proper place to stay and stability and sleep, um, people remain agitated or, or they can get even more agitated. So that's why homelessness is such an important issue that I think the city has to tackle. But then mental health, um, the, the connection with that is we are experienced over the past three years, a severe limitation of our ability to socialize. There's a lot of confusion about what's happening. People have been divided. And we see that play out in the number of instances of violence in the TTC and in schools. And I know um, sometimes the media likes to present those as two separate issues, but it's one issue, which is um, everybody has been affected with um, pressures and it's creating a very short uh, patience span for people. um, And that's a concern. And then how that intersects with safety and community is, again, if you have people who are unhoused, unwell mentally, um, crime is going to be an issue because uh, any type of physical altercation or verbal altercation can result in a charge that now becomes part of the criminal system. And we're seeing that since the lockdowns and mandates, I've seen a lot of people um, end up in the criminal justice system. 
And these is this is why those three things are at the top of my list, because we can't have a great city if we have people unhoused, not well, and um, posing a public safety risk. So, Nia, I think those are all very honest and true problems that are facing the city right now. And they are things that we need to tackle. So I'm very curious uh, to start to start with housing. How are we going to get people into homes that they can afford, uh, that they can afford long term as well? How do we start? Well, how do we begin from there? Well, the first step is for our city to recognize that this is a problem with the provincial government. The fact that rent control was eliminated has caused the skyrocket in uh, property values. And the city of Toronto and the GTA all have to recognize that everybody's going to be priced out of a home if we don't get a handle on it now, which means we have to lobby the provincial government to change their policy when it comes to uh, rent control. That's step one. Step two is, as mayor, I would institute a expedited system when it comes to landlord and tenant tribunals. Now, it's a provincial issue, but it's an issue that affects majorly residents of Toronto and the GTA. So I would use my experience as a criminal defense lawyer and within the justice system to suggest ways we can streamline those processes so people can have their day in court because there's twofold issue having happening. Um, there are some instances where landlords are illegally evicting people so they can raise their rent. And then there's some situations where people are staying in homes knowing that they don't have to pay rent and it's going to take months to a year to get them out. So we have to find a way to address both those issues, but streamline the service so um, people can have proper access to homes and not be taken advantage of. Absolutely. You know, um, I just read in the paper, I think it was in Hamilton, um, a landlord uh, killed his tenant tenants because I'm actually not sure of why, but it, there was. I think it was a. I think it said it was situation. a maintenance dispute. A maintenance. Thank you. Yes, I did read that, but I forgot. Uh, with uh, for our listeners, I'm not feeling well today, but yeah. So yeah, it was a ongoing maintenance issue or something. So I mean, to avoid situations like that, Nia, that's that's what you're, uh, uh, and also people being evicted as well. That's that's we need to address so that it's fair for both landlords and tenants. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, I guess my question is, how does, would you, would you make a move to license landlords? In what sense? Like make sure that they have verification or qualifications or. No, what I mean is setting up a municipal licensing standards um, I, I mean, I, I had this idea. I mean, it's no, I, I, I'm not sure if you know this, but I actually tinkered with, with possibly running and setting up a, a licensing landlords for a, for, for a fee, like a, like a, an annual fee. And, uh, it just, it, it, it protects the landlords and the tenants. That's just in my opinion though. Um, yeah, but I, I'd, I, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I've never thought about it that way. I'd have to hear um, more of your suggestions. Um, you know, my understanding is in order to rent to someone, there's certain bylaws and, and criteria that a homeowner has to meet before it is a legal tenancy. So um, with that, again, the landlord and tenant tribunal can help ensure that those things are, are being done. But I would have to hear more about your plan. And it sounds like a potentially good one because it could earn some revenue to assist with subsidizing housing potentially and, and other issues. 
But um, I did fail to mention other ideas when it comes to increasing affordable housing is the rezoning. Um, in my last two mayoral campaigns, I spoke extensively about zoning. Uh, there's an area in um, the Jane Finch area near Eddystone. I was just there a couple, couple days ago after our debate that we were at the other day. And um, it's such a vast area of factories and low-rise um, places of work where that those places of work aren't relying on walk-in traffic. They're more in the manufacturing sector. So I can see the city of Toronto making a deal with um, these tenant owners to purchase property on the outskirts of the city, uh, relocate them to those areas, and then convert the entire zoning area into housing, uh, have it zoned for housing. And that way the city would benefit from the property value exchange but then when affordable housing is built on those areas, it just opens up the land use that we haven't seen before. It's similar to what Ford is doing with the Greenbelt, but not illegal in the sense that we're not taking things that have been um, sectioned off from, develop, from developing, just rezoning them and classifying them so we have more land available. So that's another aspect. And then finally, um, ensuring that builders are incentivized to make sure their units are affordable. And right now, the market is a driving factor where everybody wants to buy a home in Toronto. Therefore, developers can get away with higher prices. But it's it's actually harming Toronto residents and uh, taking away the ability for people to pass on wealth. So there's this whole middle and, and lower class uh, divide from the upper class. And I don't even like using those terms because it's really just about money. People with more money can buy what they want and people with less are having a harder time and they're being priced out of the home ownership in the city. Absolutely. Uh, as you're with your experience as a, a criminal defense attorney, I, I have to ask uh, your opinion on the police budget and whether you think that um, looking for efficiencies within the police budget uh, is something that you would do. And then maybe if there are other areas um respective to police the police and policing that you would um change or alter or anything else that you want to say on, on that topic no absolutely as mayor i would be by de facto a member of the police services board and i have experience uh, deputizing at or providing deputations at those hearings i'm familiar with the structure i'm familiar with a lot of the members so i would definitely use my influence as mayor to stop the expansion of the budget first of all I think that uh, the police have the sufficient resources and the sufficient money to do their job. And I would make sure that um, it doesn't increase one and two, find ways to reallocate some of that funding to crime prevention. I know the police have it as part of their mandate, but I personally uh, haven't seen enough crime prevention uh, take place, such as even public service messages from the police to discourage um, violence, to discourage robberies, to educate the people on um, what offenses are, even if they're minor ones. So people understand, you know, if you push someone, it's an assault, or, you know, if, if you spit on them, it's an assault, right? Because we don't need to clog up our courts. So um, definitely uh, police reform is an important thing. It's, it's really the police culture to me that has the biggest issue. There are good officers and bad officers. And I, I've met quite a few good officers, but I've also been exposed to officers who don't uphold their responsibility the way they should. So I would send a message, you know, a, a moral compass message definitely to the police force to say, 
you're trusted by this community, you're trusted by society, and you cannot take advantage of people. I would encourage the police board to find ways to hold those accountable who commit offenses or misconduct under the Police Services Act. And, and then finally, back to the same thing, which is lobbying the Ford government to replace the um, accountability measures that the Liberal government had put in prior to them taking office in, in 2018. So the Liberals uh, before that, after 25 years, had reformed the Police Services Act. They had taken recommendations from Justice Tulloch and the Systemic Review, and they implemented them into a new Police Services Act, which the Ford government undid uh, as soon as they got into power. So these are all things um, that I would do as mayor, and I, I do have quite a familiarity with it. So I, I know I can help guide the process in a significant way. Um, but Nia, the city, I feel like the city of Toronto, not only we know, we understand mutually, you know, a lot of our problems facing our city. And, and also I feel like the city does have a responsibility, like, you know, to figure out how to provide housing and, other services that we we rely on. Uh, I'm not an economics guy. I, I wouldn't know how to figure it out, but I'm not running for mayor. Nia, we have a huge budget shortfall. How how would you look at tackling that? Well, attacking it is, first of all, finding out where we're spending the money. Um, we really don't have a lack of money. We have $15 billion each year that's put into the city with approximately 3 million residents. And I did the calculation, that's like $5,000 per person annually. Um, I don't believe Toronto residents are getting $5,000 worth of services from the city. And we really have to look at where is the money going. Um, I find that it's so easy to write checks when you have a bottomless pit of money. And it seems like that's how the city has treated its services and things that they do. And um, as someone who's lived on a very tight budget for my entire life, I know how to make money stretch. I know how to think outside the box in order to get things done. And that's the approach that we need at City Hall. We need a mayor who's going to be responsible with money, efficient, uh, and, and spend it wisely. And we have to also create new revenue generating tools, but I believe we have everything already at our disposal. We have um, so many festivals and, and cultures here that uh, we can have much more tourism than we have presently. Um, 20 years ago, the city would be filled to the brim during Simcoe Day weekend, which is also Caravana weekend. And that's because people came here and spent, uh, there was over $400 million of economic activity during uh, Caravana. Now, since the city uh, took over the festival, they took the funding away from the original Caravana, gave it to another group, and that group runs under the name Toronto Caribbean Carnival. And things haven't been the same. Um, they've put up fences around the parade, it's become less uh, culturally oriented and more money oriented. And I know this because I was the first Canadian born chair of Caravana. I have extensive experience working with the original founders and challenging the city for what they've done. And I know that the atmosphere uh, is ruined, even though people still call it Caravana every weekend. It is not Caravana because it's the Toronto Caribbean Carnival. And the Toronto Caribbean Carnival doesn't attract the, the names and the money that it used to. So that whole model and ensuring festivals uh, are optimized and that people are coming um, is a huge issue. And we have the Pride Parade, we have Taste of Danforth, and we have other festivals that, to be frank, the city does a very poor job of advertising. Half the time I'm walking downtown and I walk into a festival rather than knowing that a festival is taking place. 
So I strongly believe that we can increase our revenue generating tools. We also have the two biggest artists in the world hailing from Toronto, Drake and The Weeknd. And why is not our music scene more expansive than it is currently? I remember days when going down Richmond Street and Adelaide and the club district and really having a good time. And that's a draw for tourism. But the last time I was out downtown, um, it was dead. There's no place. There was only one place I could find to hear some music. And the restaurants were all closed early. So we're shortchanging ourselves as a city, as a fun destination as well. And one final thing is when all that money comes into the city, we've never taken advantage of it. Um, the hotels and airlines would be packed and overbooked. And the rates during Caravana Weekend would be through the roof. Um, I'm not aware of any time where there's a special fund created for the fact that the festival is happening and hotels can contribute back to the city coffers. And that money can go a long way in various areas. So we have a lot of potential. We've already done a lot of things, but it's not being maximized the best way. I I, I agree, you know, and uh, lucky enough that, we, you know, the Taste of the Zen Force specifically was able to be saved. You know, one thing that I, I harped on last election, um, you and I didn't didn't get an interview last election was, um, <clears throat> sorry, um, you know, it's the, the, the money that the city gives to each and every one of these festivals. You mentioned Pride, you mentioned Taste of the Danforth, you mentioned, I'll call it Caravana. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I, I might be wrong on this one. Um, they get millions of dollars in advertising uh, and sponsorship funding. And technically, in a way, I guess they, they don't need the, um, they, they don't need the, um, the, uh, what am I trying to say? They don't need the, the, the funding given to them by the city of Toronto. Is that, would you, would you agree with that or, or disagree with that? I, I, I would neither agree or disagree. I'd just say that it's a little, it's missing a bit of the elements because what happens is when these festivals take place, there needs to be upfront costs to ensure the festival happens. The sponsors are not always reliable and Caravan in particular never enjoyed the type of sponsorship that say something like Pride had. Um, yet the city would invest maybe four hundred to $500,000 in Caravan, but yet $400 million of economic activity was happening as a result of it. So it's not a fair trade-off. I think if the city was putting actually more money into these festivals, especially Caravan in particular, because that's where my experience is, the Caravan would be able to expand itself, operate at a way that the city deems appropriate, and then you know, enjoy and reap the benefits of the tourism. So <clears throat> you know, when there's money involved already coming to the festivals, yes, um, the city shouldn't have to put something forward. However, if the benefit of that festival largely exponentially increases when the city invests, then the city should always invest. So I think it's a misnomer, um, at least with Caravana. Pride is different. Like I said, I see bank sponsorships, um, very high-end fashion sponsorships. I don't know where the money goes and how much is needed. Um, but definitely, Pride brings a lot of money in. And again, to shortfall Pride um, would be a mistake because Pride is growing every year, or at least it was. I don't know where it's at now, but it was growing every year. And that money really helps now. And if the city actually put money into these other festivals, 
Taste of the Danforth and, you know, all these wing festivals and music cultural festivals, those festivals can now advertise to a broader audience and attract more people and more economic activities. So I see uh, city money to festivals as investments because they do get a return. Um, where I see the mistake is maybe charging for certain things like city permits. Um, if the city doesn't have to charge for permits, then they can just cancel out that money that they put forth towards permits and have a less money flow back and forth when the city can just donate services because of the return coming back from the festivals. Yeah, I believe in two weeks, uh, South Etobicoke Lakeshore is having what they call their annual grilled cheese festival. <laughs> <laughs> so that should be fun. My kids like that every year. Um, I've never, and I've never heard of it. And see, that's the point. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we, we only heard about, honestly, it wasn't advertised very well. Uh, we only heard for, about it because when they first started it, um, we lived there. And so, but um uh, real quick, because I'm, I'm aware of our time, I'd love to know, uh, well, I know, but the listeners would love to know your positions just quickly or briefly on uh, the Gardner, Ontario Place, Ontario Science Centre, if, if you have an opinion, we'd love to hear it. Sure. Um, Gardner is a big pain, the fact that they took off that exit ramp to uh, Lakeshore. Um, every day, the traffic is backed up trying to get off at Jarvis. And there should have been some foresight in city planning that if you're going to take down that exit ramp for the gardener, you have to replace some sort of way for people to get off the gardener into that east, uh, lower east end beaches area of the city. Um, to me, that was a huge failure. It's always frustrating and um, it could have been avoided. Um, next, when it comes to, um, so you, you asked about the gardener and then what was the other two things? Uh, I'm, Ontario Place and, on, on, and the Science Center, yeah. Yeah. Um, Ontario Place is being sold to a foreign company, a Belgian company, and that company is going to privatize the area and, and set up a spa. And they say some of it's going to be public, but a very small portion <clears throat> compared to what Ontario Place is now is going to be public. Um, Ontario Place had an actual charter and it, it re required a lot of work to get it to be what it is up until today. And what the, uh, the Ford government did in order to sell off that property to that Belgian company, they actually repealed the act that made Ontario Place. And many people don't know that. But Ontario Place was a designated um, heritage site in a way where it was protected. Um, the whole purpose of Ontario Place was to... Can I, sorry, can I interrupt you just a second? Can sure. the city um, uh, make it a heritage site uh, without the... I, I guess that's, I don't know if that's a dumb question. Can the city go ahead and, and make that a heritage site? They can potentially, I, I, I know the full details of that, but what I know is the Ontario government always overrules municipalities because they create the legislation for municipalities. So um, in 1967, when the expo happened, um, Expo 67, celebrating Canada's centennial, um, it spawned a lot of building, a lot of creation, and Ontario Place is a result of that because um, people in uh, Toronto and Ontario wanted to advertise Ontario to the world. And that's why they made Ontario Place. And it was intended to be a place where people would receive free concerts, events, and just attract people down to the waterfront. Mm -hmm. um, now, after how many years, the failed attention to Ontario Place has caused it to run itself into the ground, not make any money. And now the Ford, the Ford government's taking the opportunity to change legislation and sell it off to another company and lease it for 99 years. 
which is a huge mistake. It's taking away all this green space we say we need for downtown residents. And while John Tory was talking about the rail deck park and everyone's talking about more green space downtown, well, we have a whole waterfront property of, I can't remember how many acres, but it's quite significant. And now it's gone. It's going to be gone if uh, we don't vote this government out or we don't change or reverse that uh, legislation. And it's it's a shame because the Ontario Science Centre, located at Don Mills in Eglinton, has always been a staple. I remember going there as a child, but it's housed in a community that is underserved. And our city can't have every single attraction down at the waterfront. It has to be across the corners of our city. We have a vast city. And um, Don Mills in Eglinton is is right off the DVP, not too far from the 401. It's a place that's accessible by transit. And I think um, the government's making a huge mistake by moving that because the amount of available land to build housing is is limited because it's built on wetlands. So I don't know how much houses they believe they can get. I'm sure there'll be some condos thrown up, but you're exchanging the livelihood of residents for the profits of corporations and the wealthy because only the wealthy are going to be able to afford those condos. They did say, yeah, there's going to be some affordable housing, but it should be 100% affordable housing. If you're going to take something like Ontario Science Centre out of the community, then make sure you're replacing value. And if we know there's limited space there, then make it count. So I'm very concerned that um, the whole trend of privatizing Ontario resources um, has been what the government has been doing over the past four to eight years. Before we close, uh, Philip, I'll give you the last question and then we'll, we'll do uh, the closing statement. You know, I was just thinking, um, <clears throat> based on your comments on, you know, on a few things like, you know, Toronto's sort of uh, festivals and and sort of the lacking fun. I feel like you probably have some good ideas for um, for the Cafe TO program, you know, um, and maybe other ways of cutting some of that bureaucratic red tape in favor of businesses kind of. I don't know. I, I wonder if you have any thoughts on on Cafe TO and and maybe expanding that somehow. Yeah, I would love to see it expanded. Um, I think music is something that everybody enjoys, and well, almost everybody. But music is something that lifts the spirits and creates atmosphere. And I think since um, we've gone through this whole past three years, where people have been isolated and not socializing, uh, the aspect of music has left our city. And we need to bring it back. Um, Cafe TO, uh, everyone loves the sunshine and walking out and having something to eat. So if you can incorporate music and culture through these things and maybe even have themes because we have Winterlicious taking place in Toronto, the Cafe TO can have definite themes depending on what time of year it is. Again, during Caravan or the Taste of the Danforth, um, all the Cafe TO restaurants can incent be incentivized to incorporate some Greek food on their menu if they don't normally have it, or some Caribbean food and music in their menus if they don't already have it. So this city has so much potential, but the, the decision makers seem to be really short-sighted and narrow-minded in, in what's able to happen. Um, coming from a music background, I ran a recording studio for 20 years, managed artists um, from the age of 19. That has enabled me to understand how the entertainment industry works. And um, I'd love to use those skills to help make Toronto what I believe it used to be and beyond because um, we have a lot to offer. 
fourth largest city in North America and uh, the largest city in Canada, we have a lot to offer. Most multicultural city, there's so much here. Um, obviously, um, we're just at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to how much we've utilized. And I want to thank you so much, Nia, for for coming on and uh, letting us know what a what a Mayor Singh government would look like. Um, if you just if you just could uh, let the listeners know uh, your website and you know maybe why they should vote for you, and uh, the floor is yours, my friend. Go ahead and thank you again for coming on. Oh, thank you. So my website is electniasingh.ca. That's E L E C T. K-N-I-A-S-I-N-G-H dot C-A. And I just want to leave voters with why they should vote for me. First of all, I'm born and raised in Toronto, 49 years old. I have a music background, but currently a criminal defense lawyer who fights for human rights. And what I strongly believe is we need a mayor who has the understanding of all classes in society and all levels in varying cultures. We need a mayor who can be a mayor for all people with that understanding. And I believe my lived experience really tells that. Um, some ideas that I want you to be aware of, uh, because I haven't discussed them in this interview yet, um, is I want to see a 24-hour subway. I want to see the uh, barriers built um, for the subways to prevent those subway deaths that unfortunately happen. I'd like to see HOV lanes uh, back on the DVP that we had during the Pan Am games to help move traffic along. Um, I'd like to see school uniforms in public school because I strongly believe that kids should not have to be thinking about what they're wearing or competing with others. They should be able to attend school. And that would be fully funded from the TDSB because TDSB has over $1.5 billion budget. And again, we can find uh, ways to reallocate those resources. Uh, I'd make the TTC free for all seniors and students um, that works around the world and that would help alleviate pressure. And um, I would just like to see Things implemented um, at the TDSB that will help reduce crime and violence, and, and such as stopping all school suspensions, making sure that there's uh, career opportunities and exchange programs for students in different areas of the country, um, so people can get uh, exposed to what other places have to offer, so they don't think their lives are, are you know, stuck in the concrete jungle, as they say. And I like to see a lot more promotion of health. I think. With all our rec centers, I'd like to see a removal of user fees, and I'd like to see an increase in intramural sports, meaning that places like Etobicoke and Scarborough could have baseball games, and we can have baseball league and soccer leagues throughout the summer, hockey leagues and other things during the winter. But that competition between neighborhoods in the city would really foster growth in health, foster involvement, inclusivity, and socialization. So um, I'm a holistic type of person who would take that holistic approach to being mayor. And I strongly believe that we need people over profits, not profit over people, and a real human approach. So please vote Nia Singh in the advanced voting between June 8th and June 13th, and vote Nia Singh June 26th. Wow. Yes. And again, thank you for coming on and, and letting us know what's up. We really appreciate it. Um, I like what I hear. F Phil, do you have anything else you want to say before we get off here? Uh, solid stuff, Nia. It's uh, good to hear from you. Thank you. And good luck uh, with the campaign. We'll be rooting for you. And, you know, we are um, we're, we're excited for the city of the, the future of the city of Toronto. I almost didn't mess that up. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Nia Singh. Great, great interview. He's a great guy. You know, I um, I really did enjoy his perspective on 
you know, because not a lot of people are are talking about the fun aspect of Toronto and how a lot of, I mean, I'll I'll say it in a more cheesy way. The soul of the city has sort of been missing. It's not entirely John Tory's fault. Um, you know, we did just go through a pandemic that shut down everything. Um, and, you know, so there's a big chunk of that. But I would also say that it wasn't John Tory's focus to make Toronto a fun city. Uh, I would like so, to know why because apparently we can't say caravan it's not that it's not caravan anymore we can't <laughs> say it well how did that happen scotia bank bought the rights is that it that's very weird i didn't realize naming rights all of a sudden everywhere you see it naming rights are for sale and i guess have been for a few years um well what do you mean rogers uh rogers center sky dome <laughs> you know what I you know why I liked Skydome? Because it wasn't named after anybody. It was Skydome because that's, that's what it was called. And that's what it was. I I and I realize CN Tower <laughs> is is after the CN Rail. I oh, get is that, that the CN Rail? Oh my god, I, I'm well, learning just, that right this second. I just put two and two together that's what i assume just as soon as you started talking you're like i didn't realize the scene oh my god it's the railroad people <laughs> i mean how would <laughs> how would y'all feel if somebody came behind cn rail and and bought the rights to the cn tower and and you know now we have the the td trust tower Oh, listen, my new uh, mayoral <laughs> platform includes uh, becoming such a good mayor that they feel the need to name a landmark after me, and I will insist it's that goddamn tower. All right, so before we get on to other business, um, for the people that are listening, for the people of Toronto, there is a missing person that I wanted to talk about. Um, his name is Nathan. He No, it's not my son. His name is Nathan. He's 37 years old. He suffers from Down syndrome. Uh, he lives at Jane and Finch. He wandered off about uh, somewhere around the last two weeks. He's been missing for a while. Um, he was thought to be on his way to Kitchener. He doesn't have his cell phone or his wallet. He had about $20 to his name. He likes to talk about sports. If you see him, can you engage with him, talk about sports, and, and call somebody? Uh, they're looking for him. They're worried. He cannot care for himself. He doesn't like uh, uh, nighttime. And his family is really worried about him and looking for him. And I guess this would be our, our public service announcement. And uh, let's get out there and, and let's help find Nathan. I have nothing to say. That's um very good PSA, my man. Now let's uh we, we got a couple things that I wanted to touch. You know what? Let's just let's get it out of the way. Let's talk about uh the game that we skipped last week. Let's get that over with. Ooh. Survivor <laughs> Turtle Island edition. Or whatever Turtle we're Turtle Island. Whatever Survivor. we're calling it this week. Opening up my listicle.txt. Good. You let me know if I say a name that's already on there. 
Now, it's going to be very funny uh, whenever I send this list to you, uh, because a lot of these names have just been by sound. <laughs> so uh, I think a lot of them are going to be very funny in the future to relook at. Okay, you ready? I am ready. Is the name I vote off uh, Rakshani Siveneswaran? Uh, no, and I'm not even going to begin to tell you. So that's on there or, or not? No, that's brand new. Okay, perfect. Uh, Partap Dua Singh. That's another new one. Okay. Chris Sakokia, better known as Chris Sky. Yeah, man, I'm 100% okay with that one for reasons I don't need to explain, I don't think. Uh, Willie Rio Dicka. We're going to do... Uh, now, we're going to do audience, 20. We're going to do 20. That's a good idea. For the audience, I want you all to know I have a... Uh, Matthew, Matthew is at the terms of this game. I'm inserting my rule to say that I have a single veto... Um, I'm not going to say what this veto is. I'm sure Matthew knows exactly what my veto is. Um, but I'm just I'm just throwing it out there that there is one name that I will not allow to be on this list. There's a few names. <laughs> well, one in particular that I'm uh, I'm very adamant about fighting. Dionososis up. Postal is that already on there? I feel like I've said that before. Uh, Which one? Dion Nisio. No, we done Dion. Yeah. Oh no, no, this is a different Dion. Oh, then yeah, La this is a different one. Okay, Dionosis. D D I O N Y S I O S. Last name. Oh yeah, I wasn't even close. Last name. A P O S T O L O P O U L O S. Oh yeah, I would have, I would have been all over the place with that name. Uh, next up, I'm gonna vote off Jamie Atkinson. You know, I feel like I might be saying this only because it sounds like Scott uh, Atkinson, the um, the conservative opposition for housing guy but uh i wonder if they're related i don't know i will tell you that i know i've spoken with jamie um oh. but if i tell you how it's going to ruin our next segment so just remember amazing to don't shut up shut remind up. me later yeah <laughs> uh did i did i vote off jose baking doesn't look like it well let's do him Okay, what about... Did I vote off Roland Chan? No. Nope. Oh, let's do him. Uh, What about Danny Chevalier Romero? You know, I I feel like I recognize... Oh, yeah, sorry. Danny... What was it? Danny Chevrolet? Yeah, he's already on there? Oh, uh, he's already on there, because I was thinking I heard the name Chevrolet before. We I've done this joke, and Sure enough, I put it in his name as Danny Chevrolet. So, okay, uh, John Winter. I think I think he's gone. Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, because that is so such a common name, 
that I would have remembered you saying it. Okay. Uh, Jody Williams. I feel like maybe. I think I, I might have nope, said that. that's new. Nope. Nope, okay. that's new. Perfect. Jack Weenan. Okay. Our boy, Jeffrey Tunney. Sorry, Jeffrey. Jeffrey Tunney. Now we're getting to the part where we're backstabbing friends. No, it's not meant as a pals, as it were. Phil's trying to just fade all the heat onto me, which that's where it belongs. So <laughs> um, we can do it. Mir Strauss. Yeah, looks like a new one. Robert Schusterman. All right. It's getting really hard. I'm gonna need you to send me that list so so I can see <laughs> you're gonna laugh. You're gonna like out. read them. You're like, who is this person? That Philip is referring to. Uh, what about? In fact, uh, I'm going to send it to you as soon as we finish today. What about Jamil Nowarar? N o w w a r a h. Hey, listen. If you spell it out for me, it ruins the fun. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, uh, listen. It's a double N. Listen, I I already ignored your spelling, so I've already spelt it wrong. You're welcome. Steve Mann. Oh, that is a good name, though. Because you know for sure what his deal is. <laughs> um, Norman McLeod? Do we already have a McLeod? No? No, it doesn't look like it. All right. Mark Lelivre? Okay, what are we... Oh, we only have two left for today. Wallet. Con and I'm voting off the island. One left, Olivia. Yeah, Chow. one left, Olivia Chow. Oh my god! Sorry. Oh my god! You're voting. Oh, this is if this were a video podcast, it'd be ah. <laughs> it's not a it's not a video podcast, so it it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I fund I fundamentally disagree with you. But that's not my veto, so I can't veto it. Olivia Chow, you're uh, you're voted off the municipal's uh, mayoral island. Sorry, girl, nothing I can do about it. All right, so we're gonna go to our next interview, and we <laughs> will see you guys on the other side. And we're back, and we're joined by 2023 mayoral candidate Irwin. Is it uh, Snipes? Snidgens. Snidgens. Sorry, I want to. Well. I, I, it's I have a hard time, so that's uh, because I, I'm I'm Latvian, and they kind of say "snidgens" or something like this, right? So I didn't like that sound, so I said "snidgens." So that's kind of what I go with. So okay. when you try to Google my name, and you say "snidgens," you know, you get your Kleenex or something like that. <laughs> we always seem to mess up names sometimes here on the show. Yeah. Um, well, any in any case, welcome to the show, and uh, you know, right off the bat, I'd love to know. What your top line plan is, what you think uh, Toronto's biggest issues are, and anything else that you want to add, and then Philip and I will jump in with questions as we go along. Well, I'd like to start off a bit uh, who I am, and, uh, and and I guess one of the reasons I'm running to, to get in a particular uh, race. And uh, so, once again, my name's Erwin Snidgens. 
and um, used to uh, work at Xerox for about 18 years. And I resigned from Xerox to put together Mount Everest Expedition. And out of that uh, became uh, with the educational software. So, and with that software, I took my company called Mount Knowledge Public on the US stock market. I'm a best-selling author. Uh, what by that I mean is I published the Fusu in Toronto celebration of the city in 1984, and I sold 5,000 copies at $49 a pop. So, uh, and that was for charity to raise money for charity. The same reason I, I climbed Mount Everest to, to raise international awareness and funds for uh, Rett syndrome, a genetic disorder that affects my daughter. So. Um, and my campaign is is more or less uh, about uh, uh, making a difference for people with special needs, uh, where, you know, especially if, if they have the physical, mental, or financial uh, sort of difficulties. So that's why I'm running to make that that difference. And so um, my top my top thing was uh, is affordable housing. Uh, I have a manufacturing uh, affiliate. And looking at uh, technology in Xerox, I was uh, the product manager of new products and, and things like that. So I have a technical background in a lot of areas, and I always look for innovation. And I was voted the most innovative manager in Xerox at that time. So so I'm looking at 3D printers. I'm looking at robotics, uh, manufacturing, that type of stuff. So when I look at the, the affordable housing issue, that's one of the main things I'm, I'm, I'm campaigning on because I have a solution that's realistic and deliverable. I can guarantee that we can do this uh, at, at the volume that we're going to, I can sort of go into it uh, later on. And the second is the uh, transportation system. I think it's antiquated. It's, uh, it's a relic of the uh, 21st century type of thing. And I want to bring that into the 22nd century. And then you're looking at greenhouse gas type of thing, with how we're going to tackle it, and I have solutions for that. So in both cases, I'll be able to say save about three hundred million dollars for uh, uh, the garbage uh, situation, and also about a, uh, one billion dollars for uh, revamping the uh, TTC. I can go on. That you want to do that or? Uh, Philip, you know what? I always take the first question, so I'm going to pass it to you. You start us off. Go ahead, Phil. All right. Uh, you know, Erwin, I've been thinking uh, recently, you know, a big a big thing that's going on, of course, is our, our city's huge uh, budget shortfall. Absolutely. And uh, so I'm I'm curious. And, you know, in my mind, it's, it's, it's so important for the city to have functioning services. And obviously, so that means it's important that we we figure out how to fill this budget hole. Uh, I'm wondering what sort of revenue tools uh, you're looking at or thinking about uh, to maybe get us more in line with where we should be. Well, yeah, that's a very good question. And that is paramount because regardless of what you promise, if there's no money in the bank, you know, it's more of a dream and a wish. Uh, so you got to be realistic in that. So how, how are you going to handle a one and a half billion dollar type of deficit? Well, I have several things for that. Uh, one is to increase the revenue. How do you increase the revenues? Uh, well, uh, there's an issue with, in my mind, with Ontario Science Centre and also with Ontario Place, and uh, they want to kind of squeeze it all in one little spot. But uh, my my uh, take is all together. I want to bring in uh, roughly uh, about 5 million uh, uh, international visitors to our city. Uh, that will generate about $3 billion to $4 billion in revenues. 
and there's a spinoff from that respect. And how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to phone my buddy Elon Musk. Oh, he's an old Canadian, uh, that type of situation. And I'm going to ask him to um, donate or uh, one of his uh, SpaceX rockets. And I'm going to put those rockets in the Space Center. I want an Ontario Science Center. So I want to make Ontario Science Center a destination for STEAM, which is basically science, technology, engineering, and math, right? So and that's where uh, I'm sort of looking at making that as a hub with uh, SpaceX rockets and assimilations with that, uh, like a 50-seat theater type of thing that floats on on a platform and when you actually see the videos and all the audios that sort of going with that and the whole thing is moving and you really think you're in that rocket right so you have these sort of uh, that sensation bring people and i guess it's a bit what they do in walt disney but it's 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 a it's a good feeling so i want to kind of make that a very exciting place with Op optimus walking around the the science center and that type of stuff so people can say hi and talk to him and, and uh, get serviced by the by optimus and also full service drive so that's my whole thing is make that destination place and i want to do the same thing with ontario place i want to make that a tourist attraction not not a spa where you go in there and rub uh, rub your back or you slide down a, you know slide into the lake or, you know what how attractive is that so i want to bring in like the uh alpha Lights, you know, the, uh, the characters that are vended by Canadians, right? And uh, work with Marvin and basically make that into a very exciting, entertaining, engaging environment, right? Huh? That's is that that's essentially the Canadian Avengers, right? Right, right. It's uh, you know Wolverine and and uh, you know like you got you got all this stuff. So let's bring Can into a really hub and have people come here as opposed to going down to Walt Disney, right? So, or they can do that too, but uh, at least build things in here that are so exciting to bring it. In 2019, you had 44 million uh, people visit Toronto. Out of those 44 million, you had 17 million that were international. I want to bump that up to about 25 million or so. France is number one for tourist attraction, that type of thing, and tourist visitors, right? So I want to bring that up to be able to have these type of things with, you know, F1 and all the sort of things that are really exciting and, and entertaining. So that's the revenue aspect of it. The other aspect of it is looking at how we can lower the costs, the revenues that we're generating. So that's what I'm looking at is being able to revamp that TTC into the 22nd century and, and save about a billion dollars there. And the other aspect of it uh, with the, um, the garbage collection, we'll save about $300 million. And I can tell you how, and I can tell you exactly how long to do that. So those are some of the things I'm looking at sort of challenging. The other thing I want to be able to do is get rid of the Presto card. And, uh, and basically you put in a debit card, Trillium card type of thing. So we get it like 1%. Of, of whatever you people use, that type of stuff go into the um, health, affordability, homeless, etc. So we want to be able to maximize that. So when I revamp that that that, that, that TTC, people will be amazed. Go ahead again, Phil. Um, the, just a quick thought on your uh, your TTC thing. Would that yeah. exclude? Uh, them from having say the the monthly passes uh is it always going to be just like a single pay fare or is... 
It's going to oh, be. No. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, it's sort of like uh, press release, breaking news. <laughs> Erwin Snidgens is going to do this. <laughs> oh my God! Is he smoking? Is he real? Right type of thing. So, <laughs> so what I'm looking at basically is to. Um, um, uh, there's roughly 14,000 people working TTC. So, you know, and, it, and it's unionized and that type of thing, which is okay. So what I want to be able to do is um, move that. Uh, they, they have eight, they have 2,100 buses or 2,200 buses, right? That type of thing. And they have basically 880 sort of uh, uh, subway cars and et cetera, et cetera, right? So they have all this technology and, and maintenance. So what I want to kind of now uh, shift out of that, and I'm going to move everybody into a Tesla's. Okay, so I'm going to be doing, uh, I'm going to be doing uh, roughly uh, 1,000 uh, what I call autonomous uh, shuttle buses. Okay, there'll be 1,000. So I'm going to bring in 1,000 shuttle buses and I'm going to be bringing in the uh, 3,000 robotaxis. Okay, so, and then what I'm going to do is transition the people that are doing the conducting work and things like that is basically having them drive, you know, in other words, have a passenger uh, driver in, in the seat because people aren't familiar with the fact that, uh, you know, a car shows up to you and picks up sort of a fill and say, hey, uh, who's the driver? Right? I'm not getting in that thing. And so you got to sort of uh, uh, do a pilot and, and slowly move it in so that people are comfortable with that. And by two or three years, by say the end of 24, 20, and 25, they'll be totally autonomous. And then by that time, they'll have people sort of doing it. So what what's going to happen is I'm not going to be doing any of these subway projects anymore, billion dollar type uh, fiascos. We'll finish what we started because basically I'm going to provide a TTC Uber service door to door. Okay, so at the peak carriage, you have the shuttle buses and the peak carriage will be using the, the, the subways, that type of stuff that are already there and finished off. But also what we're doing is providing security for seniors, for children, for, for women or special needs. And that's where you, you pick them up and that's going to be as cheap as TTC. So it'll be it'll be like one fair, you know, one month that type of situation. So even more personalized. And if you want a premium, you can bump it up, and then you get a premium to help to lower the cost. That means we don't have to pay. Like a, a TTC uh, bus costs about eight hundred thousand bucks. The one of these streetcars is six million dollars. So we're spending like a tremendous amount of money at, at, at a sort of fix a sort of transportation system. So I want to sort of individualize and personalize and provide that security to the individuals right. in the city. And it's going to be much cheaper, tremendous amount of cheaper. You can buy three 3,000 uh, uh, robo-taxis for about a, a $60 million. Would you argue that uh, the TTC CEO, uh, Rick Leary, um, I guess mismanage is is the word he mismanaged the ttc file and he's making uh more than double what the mayor's salary is um is it worth is, two and a half million dollars or something no no he was on the ontario sunshine list he clocked in somewhere around four hundred and fifty thousand dollars yeah yeah well i mean to me i don't think we need that uh 
I would phase that out because basically, um, I guess you're, all, I don't know if you're familiar with Tesla and, uh, you know, all that. I'm, I'm a fanboy. Can you stop playing with the ball? I, I, I just don't have necessarily the funds to buy, buy a Tesla at this time, right? But um, so what, what I want to do, because I have the software, it's a software system that you're looking at. And so you, you, you'll be able to know exactly where all the passengers are, where all your cars are, that type of thing. So you will have to have people manage that, but more of a motivation supervisory point of view, right? Because this is a whole different way of how you're going to be able to move people in the city. Right. Um, let me see. I agree with you. I think it's with the, what's going on with the TTC. I live at Eglinton and Young. I've, I've lived there before the subway was built. Okay. So I basically, the subway ended in Eglinton. So what I'm looking at for the last 10 years, what they were doing way back then, right? So to me, uh, it's just ludicrous, that type of sort of money that's being spent and getting at the service from it. And that's management, right? So, so Metrolink, I guess, is the big part of it. And TTC, uh, but TTC has the responsibility with the passengers. And I don't think they're doing a good job. It doesn't cost more money to do that. Absolutely. Um, I'm just interested in your, also your position on what you think should be done with the gardener, tear it down, rebuild it, or some sort of hybrid option. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Well, uh, my, my, my uh, preference is uh, mobility is uh, uh, like, I look at productivity as a function of mobility. And so, yes, you have uh, Zoom and you have these type of uh, uh, meetings, but a lot, a lot of the meetings and face-to-face uh, -face and sociality and things like that. So I prefer being able to do that. We don't necessarily need uh, uh, to uh, tear down the gardener. My, my idea with the gardener is to make it a the green park. So what I end up doing, you know, basically uh, would green it, be hiking, parking and all that, and make it a tourist attraction, that type of stuff. So what you're looking at is uh, a, a seven kilometer bike trail. You're looking at hydroponics areas in there. So we're going to be growing the hydroponic produce and uh, on, on that particular, if we go that way. Otherwise, we have to sort of, okay, we're going to build it. So it's just X, X hundreds of millions of dollars to do that. I think basically, if you're looking at the, the function that we're going to do with the Tesla uh, auto, autonomy, we'll, we'll be able to be much more, more personalized. And we don't all have to congregate into one particular area. So my thing is to, uh, if you look at, and I'll send you, you know, I don't know if I sent you the stuff, but I basically uh, have the gardener green and clean and, uh, you know, uh, putting ski slopes in some of the streets. You're on the gardener, you can uh, ski into into the lake almost, that type of thing. Uh, so that's why I want to kind of make it into a, a sort of a, a tourist attraction if we're going to and keep it that way. And it depends. What What do you think we should do with them? Uh, well, Phil and I kind of disagree. I, I, I did support tearing it down, but now I'm not so sure. Um, a lot of people do use. I'm still, it. I'm still pro tearing it down. The, the, <laughs> the, the, the big. I don't have a problem tearing it down. The big issue that I see is that if you tear it down, 
you're left with a boulevard issue and then you're quadrupling the traffic. And as a driver, as a delivery guy who delivers downtown, <laughs> I understand uh, traffic where Phil doesn't drive. So uh, there, you know, and he also lives on the other side of the city. So in and out of the downtown is not, he doesn't go that way. Well, I would, uh, uh, it kind of uh, sort of an echo between both of you guys, because it uh, it's there, tearing it down costs tons of money. I would rather enhance it and make it into something unbelievable as far as, you know, uh, 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 entertainment, as far as biking, uh, uh, as far as uh, hydroponics, that uh, type of thing. And, and having ramps, you know, uh, that you can bike up or you can basically uh, be down. That type. And that's what I'm looking at uh, at that particular avenue. So I would just, I would prefer to keep it what it is and then not spend money, but because you got the underpass, but you also have the different sort of scenarios with the Tesla autonomous vehicles and because the, they can be static. They know what streets are open, what, what where the traffic is. They don't need, they, they just talk with them, with cars themselves, that type of stuff. So you'll be able to sort of control some of the congestion downtown. But that's that's how I, I, I see the gardener being uh, more of a tourist thing, a part of that bringing in uh, more tourists coming in and um, make it a truly unique environment for that uh, avenue. Absolutely. I'm just aware of our time. So, Philip, I'll give you the last question and then we'll go from there. So uh, pretty much at the jump, uh, you had mentioned affordable housing, which I think we all agree is is very important. What would uh, what would your mayorality be in terms of getting this housing built or secured uh, for and also having it be affordable as well? I, I my 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 problem is affordable. My, my platform is affordable housing that pays for itself. All right. So that what does that really mean? Well, it means basically what I'm going to do is get a one point eight billion dollar affordable housing bond that will be paid back by uh, by 12, within 12 years. I have going to have to have a coalition of all the people that are uh, advocating affordable housing, all the not for profits that are advocating for affordable housing. I want to bring in a co-op coalition of, of those affordable not for profits. I want to bring in a not for profits for health care. So uh, and the neighborhoods that are into affordable housing, create a co-op coalition, and they would be part of this bond. Then what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be building a mega factory, okay? And uh, a mega factory is 1 million square feet, and we're going to be doing a robotic uh, affordable housing. We're going to be doing 36,000 homes in one year, that type of thing. And so we'll eventually build that up to 360,000. You got to understand, we all do, because you got 400,000 people coming into the country every year, and some legal, some not, some refugees, and et cetera. And say half of them come to Toronto. That's like almost like, uh, you know, 10% of this population of Toronto. And then what do you get? You get uh, homelessness, you get people with uh, desperate. And so I want to be able to sort of ha handle that, understand what it is. So I will look at the affordable housing, be able to bring in that coalition. And then basically build the houses. Like in 2019, you know, they made us some type of a big uh, fuss about, oh, we're going to build 10,000 homes in, in, in government and uh, uh, city property. They built zip, zero. 
that type of stuff. They haven't even started. So this is like, you know, what uh, five years ago or so, you know, so it's crazy. So, I mean, they're just smoking. They're, they're smoking whatever they have down there in the area. Yeah. And so. You well, Trudeau legalized it and everyone got. Yeah, I think they got entirely. it. They got it, you know. And they, they say, "Oh yeah, I'm going to do more. I'm going to do, <laughs> I'm going to do 44 hives. No, I'm going to do 25,000 hives. Oh, I'm going to do more. You know, so like a one-upmanship, right? But they have no idea how they're going to do it. I have a coalition of private people that will, essence, be, be able to bring in what they call a, a co-op a partnership. So the people that are you know, with the 1.8 million dollars will be able to us bring build those houses. And now we have houses that we can put in the backyards where the owners can get some rent and it'll be cheaper. And then we get the people that want uh, affordable housing, they can move into a 400 square foot house or into 800 square foot. So we're looking at 100,000 backyard homes there, okay, for homeless people as well as for people that are looking for affordability. We'll be able to do that starting within a year. And by three years, we'll be able to ma maximize, make that happen. And we have the money, the money's paid back. Okay, so the people that put the money in, the people that co-op the uh, not-for-profits, they, they, then they should have ownership in, in the uh, factory. And that ownership allows them to get dividends going back to the not-for-profits for the sustainability. Well, okay. that's doable. And I, 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 the people that are doing that, they do modular prefabs and factories already. Well, I'm just bringing them together, and we're going to do a bigger, bigger factory in Downsview. Absolutely. Or or Portland. One or the other. We need 120 acres. And Erwin, this is your time now to talk directly to our listeners, the voters, and let them know what it would be like with you in, in the mayor's chair. Uh, don't forget to include your website and anything else that you uh, you want to say. The floor is yours, my friend. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, once again, uh, the listeners, I, I'm going to introduce myself as Erwin Snidgens and uh, running for mayor. At, uh, my platform, I mentioned, is uh, for people with special needs, especially in whether it's physical, mental, or financial, and it's all intertwined. So I want to be able to take some of the platforms that I just mentioned regarding affordable housing. I have concrete, specific timelines and budgets and how I'm going to pay for it. And the fact that the people that are and coming together with us in the coalition, after the not-for-profit, to be able to get quarterly dividends to help sustain the affordability for people and at the same time with the homelessness. So number one is being able to bring in that affordability. The other aspect I'm going to be able to do is looking at uh, uh, TTC and remapping that to, to save uh, about $1 billion over the, over the year. So I want to be able to do that, and I can only do that if I have support from from people of Toronto, and uh, the people that uh, know someone that needs them help with the mental or physical or financial. That's what I want to bring to the table uh, as 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 mayor, and I want to be able to be with you guys and bring in the coalitions from the not for profit, so we have the infrastructure and support from from the affordable from basically the homeless people from basic people with special needs. So bring that coalition together to City Hall and we all work together to get these houses, not talk about it, but I've done it. I, I, if I did Everest, if I climbed Everest, I made a movie, I won the Gold Award at New York, New York Film Festival, 
So I'm a doer, not a talker. Uh, uh, some people can talk and really smooth. And at the end of the day, you say, well, what do you say? So nothing happens. Okay. Just an example I gave you right now is, so I want you to vote for Irwin Snidgens at June the 26th. You know, you know, you will not regret it. <laughs> and uh, I can guarantee you that uh, I will make things happen. And uh, with your support, uh, you know, because you guys will vote for me and I have a cube. My website is the Snidgens, S-N-I-E-D-Z-I-N-S, formair.com. And I also have a cube that I would like to offer free of charge. It's called a cube for power of two. Okay, so um, if you go to my website and uh, put your email, I'll send you a cube. Okay, and it's an interactive cube. Oh, you, you can't <laughs> see it very well. Oh, yeah. No, no, I can see it. Yeah. No, no, it's actually, it was showing up pretty good, actually. Yeah, so, you know. You can play with my platforms on the cube, and I call this the power of two, right? So if you have, you get it, and you give it to two people, and before you know it, we have all of it, uh, Trotto. So it's all in your hand, just with the cube of power. That's awesome. Be a cuber. And thank you so much for coming on the show and and uh, letting us know what it would be like with you in the mayor's chair. We wish you nothing but luck. Uh, on your campaign trail, we are going to be having a debate. I believe it's next weekend. So I, I hope to uh, have you there. It's going to be a virtual one. So you don't have to step out of your house. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll we'll, uh, we'll see you there. You know, we're excited. We're excited for this election. Um, this is our chance to get it right this time. And uh, like I said, we, we wish you luck in the uh, in the campaign. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate uh, the work you're doing, too. It's awesome. And that was Erwin Sneedsons. Sorry, I uh, kind of messed up well, the name. <laughs> well, we'll have to double check on that one. I really enjoyed his energy and and his, you know, his excitement for these ideas. I do want to put a bit of a I want to say a realistic pause as not, well, I'm going to put it very realistically. I'm sure if you're following our politics, you probably guess this already. I, I don't believe Elon Musk is this, you know, future savior that's going to come and figure out all these technologies while, you know, Tesla's are randomly blown up and all this stuff. Uh, you know, the stuff Irwin's talking about, are I want to say potential viable future solutions, but I, I don't believe they'd be viable for you know him getting elected June twenty twenty three, and it's something that could be enacted before the end of his term in twenty twenty six. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it seems like more of a twenty thirties project somewhere. Yeah. In, that, in that decade. Yeah, so it's it's not they're not bad in principle. I just I don't feel them as being realistic in the in our moment. They're futuristic. They're Jetsons. Hmm? <laughs> uh, Jetsons. Oh, we're show. the Flintstones, baby. Yeah, it's like we're in the Flintstones, and and he's talking about the Jetsons, which is fine. It's great, but oh, now I miss I miss those shows. I wish my son would watch those cartoons, but. He he loves Roblox and and yeah and Minecraft. He knows better. 
What's hey? I will not let you disparage the good goddamn name of the Jetsons or the Flintstones. Listen, if we ever have an episode where we just like talk personal stuff from our past, you'll be able to hear about the fact that I worked at a, worked at a restaurant called Jetsons based off of the cartoon show, but they had to change the spelling of the name because they weren't obviously going to license the name Jetsons. So it was a family-run burger restaurant called Jetsons, but it was like themed like a 70s restaurant. The burgers were named after cars, like the Cadillac. Actually, maybe it was just the one burger that was named after a car. If we have an episode... Where we're we just should do that. Our, you know, personal lives. It could be, we it could be a. It could be a I'm bonus talk episode. To you about Jetsons Juicy Burger. It could be a bonus episode. All right, um, everybody, look forward to the background <laughs> on Jetsons Juicy Burger. Before before we get off this topic, do you did you know of the quote unquote Friends Convenience Store at Richmond and Virginia, or Virginia, Richmond and Victoria? No, I feel like that's relatively close to where so, I work. So it's a convenience store, and I don't. I've never been inside, but I was told by somebody who was. Oh no, it doesn't have friends stuff inside. It just has the logo exactly how you see it on the show. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm like, actually, isn't wait, that copyright? No, I know exactly. No, 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 I know exactly the story you're talking about. Holy shit! Because it that is straight up on my walk to work. Isn't that copyright? It's what, you know, I think it's a case of if uh, if someone from whoever owns the rights to Friends, WB or whoever, I think it's a case of if any of them ever see it, it'll be an issue. Until then, I think they're in the clear. Yeah, they'd have to they'd have to come to Toronto, take a drunken walk down to Richmond and Victoria and then <laughs> and then they'd be in some trouble. Like it is just one block off of Young. But what actually, no, because that's a one way street. Like, if you're driving, you're coming in the opposite direction. Exactly. Oh, man. Oh, you're not. No one's going to see the Friends Convenience Store because they were so smart in how they planned where that sign was. I'm proud of them for fighting <laughs> copyright law. Good for them. Proud so, of you guys at the Friends Convenience Store. So, we had our debates over the weekend. Um, you know, we were supposed to have more candidates, but, you know, stuff always happens. So to those who, who couldn't make it, we're sorry you didn't make it. But for those who did, thank you for coming. We had uh, we, we had a blast, you know. Um, I, I I liked both of the the both of the debates, but I mean, See, I come from the sports world. I always want to uh, pick out an MVP or someone, and and I, I I'm, it's really really hard for me to do that. Even if you pick one for each um, debate, I, I don't think I can do that. They were all really 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 good. Um, for those of you who are listening to this who haven't heard the debates. They're technically uh, uh, bonus episodes, but we added them. They're on the Spotify. They're on YouTube. Go look for them. They're there. Um, and enjoy them. And become informed so that on June 26th, when you vote, you know who you're voting for and you know why. You know, a lot of people, like I, I have friends who, who've said, well, I, I go and uh, I go eeny, meeny, miny, mo on the ballot. And I'm like, what? 
what what if you choose someone i and i know the person right so i'm like you you're you hate carding or you're part of the lgbt community and you hate this or you don't like that or you want to see this change or that change well this person's against it why did you vote for them why well, didn't know that well that is what we're doing here and I, we're not the only podcast but uh, fuck it we're the best becoming oh, yeah baby become informed because there's actually two questions you have to a- answer on election day, who are you voting and not to anybody else, to yourself, who are you voting for and why? Would you agree with that, Philip? I, you know, I think another question really is what, what do you see as the main problem with the city and who, and I guess here's the thing. It's, it's not just who is saying the right things, but who do you trust? You know, because multiple candidates are going to be saying the same things. So it comes down to who do you believe is saying these things and is genuine and will go through with what they're saying. And that's it's a hard decision to make. And it's it's especially if you're not if you're not involved, you're not paying attention, you can't possibly know. Absolutely, I would agree with that. And now I want to talk about, uh, I know you have something you want to talk about, but uh, mine was first, technically chronologically, so we're going to go with mine first. Um, so it was uh, thir- thir- last, Thursday? last Thursday, so day after our, our episode released, um, I was ha- happened to be on Twitter because I caught Philip's disease and I was on Twitter the whole, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I was on Twitter. Oh, that's fair. And um, I saw a tweet from Giorgio Mamaliti advertising a debate later that same day, uh, that night, actually, uh, in my neighborhood, uh, the former Don Bosco High School. I can't tell you what it's called now because I don't know or care. Anyway, um, (laughs) you still found your way just being on. Well, I know I uh, funnily enough, that is the school that I never went to it, but. I used to live across the street from it when I went to high school. When I went to Scarlet, um, I used to live across the street from Don Bosco High School. And so I I knew exactly where it was. So anyway, so I went there and, you know, I'm going to play some stuff. Philip DeCruz was there. Selena Selena Cesar Chavan was there. Rob Davis was there. Nia Singh was there. Bahira Abdullah Salam. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. Um, Isabella Gamp was there. Uh, you know, uh, Giorgio Mamaliti was there. Frank D'Angelo, Chris Langenfeld, Saeed Jeffrey. We had literally every single person Reginald except Tull. for, I think, the last one you just said. I think, oh, and I have we, we had Reginald Tall, right? We had Reginald Tall. Technically, it was before Reginald Oh, yeah, early. Day, but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Every person you mentioned, I think, except for one, except I think has been a guest on our show. Bahira was was part of our debate, not oh, uh, part of the debate. Yeah, uh, Saeed has Saeed Jeffries not been on our show, and I think that's it. Everyone else that was at this yeah. debate uh, was there. So, um, it was it was awesome. It's actually the first time that I fit because we've talked to Chloe and I interviewed her last year, but I never physically met her, but. That took place that night, and you know she's a, 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 a oh she was there. I left her name out for some reason. 
she's a gracious person and uh you know she's very real uh one thing i learned about her is that uh, unlike last time there's actually somebody else in charge of her schedule her timing so the times that we have not been able to link up with her for an interview well, i find out it's it's not exactly her fault so we're not calling her out we're not uh but uh we're we're, we're understanding of it i'll say um but i still think she's a great we're candidate. learning that campaigns take time that's right and energy okay so i just have to figure out how to get into this thing and then oh here we go i'm in okay so yep. i'm gonna play a series of clips uh if you do you want me, do you want me to stop between each because they're only oh, well if you want me to stop just interrupt me here we go So, you know, uh, we got to get things fixed, and that's the bottom line. That's the job. I've been fighting for the second floor for five years, and that's the whole man forgot when I had a lot of voice. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. I'm here to run for mayor because, once again, we have to fight for democracy for the working class. It has been a very short time since the last election where I placed third, and I'm here once again to let you know that there is an opportunity to, for us to achieve democracy for the larger picture. The larger picture here is that we are all being priced out by for-profit development. There is an opportunity to change policies so that they meet the needs of people, planet, and public wealth. It starts with community land trust that would turn over legal ownership of public land to community groups like you who pay taxes and are not getting your value for it. It is time that your assets work for you and you need an asset manager with a knowledge of policy to get it done. I am that candidate and I am here once again to fight for you. So thank you very much. Uh, first of all, Buenas tardes, Sosnikalji, Buenas noches. I can go on in about 20 or 30 other languages. My name is Rob Davis. I'm running to be the next mayor of Toronto because I want to make the city safer, cleaner, and kinder. What do I mean by that? When city council voted to close the working centers, where did they expect homeless people to go who were in crisis or had mental health and addiction issues? They went to libraries, they went to subways. And we saw the result. We saved a few hundred thousand dollars on the warming centers, and we lost millions of dollars in revenue from transit. We can't have a safer city unless we have a kinder city. And we can't have a cleaner city unless we have a safer city. Now, you saw me when I launched, I was holding a Dundas Street West sign. I was holding that sign because city council decided to spend $21 million to change the names of streets instead of caring for the people who live on the streets. And that's an example of misguided spending and misguided priorities. I'll talk more about that later. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. My name is Benira Abdoslam. I'm running to be the next mayor of Toronto because I am extremely frustrated about the level of services and the deterioration that is, I'm seeing is in policy. I have over 30 years of experience in engineering. I have 
are not so experienced in making our structures safer and stronger. And I have invested a lot of my life in academia and education. I'm a mother of uh, uh, three boys, and I understand the challenges our children are facing in schools. Uh, I believe that uh, I need to be there in order to uh, bring the knowledge-based decision-making to our city. And we need to include more immigrants, people of color, to help uh, the city to be in a better condition. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. My name is Nia Singh. And I'm running for mayor for many reasons. Before you vote for leadership, I'll get it out I'm 49 years old, I'm a criminal defense lawyer, and prior to that, I ran a recording studio for over 20 years. The first time I ran for city council was in 1997. I was 23 years old. I wanted to bridge the gap between the government and the people. Since 2010, I've been doing that consistently. Because in 1997, I realized this wasn't about good ideas. It was about how many volunteers you had and how much money you had. So after pursuing an education, after I had time in the arts, I've been a public advocate. I put myself up for mayor in 2018 under the notion that John Tory would only do two terms. So by 2022, I'd be primed and ready. But John Tory chose to do three terms. And here we are at my election because he's resigned. You just need to know that you need someone in the city who's going to be honest and speak the truth. Good evening, everyone. My name is Selena Cesar Chabin, and I'm running to be the next mayor of the city of Toronto. Um, like many others here, I am passionate about this city. Um, as I remember when I started working there, when the community center first opened, I have spent a lot of my years building relationships. To the point where now running for mayor at a time when Toronto is facing unprecedented financial crisis, you need someone who has the political wealth, the relationships, and the fortitude to ensure that we're not continuing to talk about housing and social assistance and transit from a from a position of lack. We need different revenue streams in the city in order to accommodate to sustainable, predictable funding for the services that people need most. We need a mayor who ensures that we have a self-sustained and resilient city that leaves no one behind. My name is Bill DeCruz. Thank you for coming. Ron, I have you here. My whole path is about people. My top three things are food, distribution, food security, rent control, rent reduction, and going after debt to balance. I'm running for people, I'm a people guy, I'm a regular guy. What's missing in the top five candidates you see on every debate last few weeks is us. All of us represent something. We have people in housing, distribution, OESP. Why we're not on the stage? Because they don't want us. We are the people, they're from props. I'm a regular guy. Go on my website, see my platform. Um, that's it. <laughs> Coming out tonight, my name is Frank D'Angelo, and I want to thank the organizers for allowing the unheard candidates. Because all of these people here, I respect for putting it out there to try to help the city. We are in the fourth largest city in North America. We are $1.6 billion in debt. We have $700 million in uncollected fines that are in default for the last 10 years. The city is in trouble. And the city needs to have a path 
of success. If it's going to be successful for the next decade, the next two decades. But the problem right now is every time you re-elect career politicians, they promise the sky, the sun, and the moon. And when they're elected, they deliver nothing but thundershocks. And they live with no umbrella. You need to pick someone who's going to work for you and not work for developers and not work for special interests. And I believe I'm that guy. My name is Frank Nagel, and I will be voting. Well, thank you very much for having me. My name is Giorgio Mammolini. I am one of those uh, long-term uh, politicians, almost 30 years provincially and municipally. For the, much of those years, I fought uh, and warned people that what is happening on their streets is happening and would happen. And sure enough, that's what this election is about. Unsafe streets, uh, unsafe sidewalks. We've decided that the way to treat uh, addiction is to throw people on the streets and let them do whatever they want. Our parks are not safe. Our children are not safe anymore. We can't trust uh, our children walking to school anymore. We've got to give them a ride to elementary school and to university now, all because we've let our streets and our safety go to woke. I'm running in this election to get rid of woke. Woke has caused us nothing but heartache and trouble. We've got people who are, are, are robbing people, stabbing people, killing each other on subways, on our sidewalks. We've got our parks uh, given up to the homeless and, and to those that want to sleep with them. Our children can't even play in parks anymore. We have people dressed as, as, as women when they're men, reading to our children in, in high schools. My name is Chris Langenfeld, and I got into this because I've seen the efforts by uh, Toronto City Council led by John Tory to keep the public from being involved in their government. And so the foundation of my running here is to restore the people's voice and involvement, and then to use that involvement and that public uh, participation to deal with the issues of housing, crime, and TTC. So, no, we don't need to uh, throw the, the homeless in jail. We don't need to create warming centers for them. We need to create housing for them and, and put a roof over their head so they're not inclined to go onto the TTC or our libraries or creating minor crime. Uh, that'll help deal with uh, crime issues, but also we need to deal with the problems that we have in our policing. And part of that is the, the, the lousy leadership that really we had. John Tory was a big part of that uh, previously. And on that police board, I will make a difference. Thank you. All right, guys. For too long, we've been recycling these councillors and these politicians. All right? So you have some of these councillors and these politicians, some of them are on stage tonight, and they're talking about how we need change how Toronto's going in the wrong direction, but yet they didn't run against John Tory in the last election. So what we need is we need change in City Hall. We need somebody from City Hall who's not from City Hall into City Hall to make a difference in Toronto. That's exactly what we need. And what I'm wondering right now is the politicians that were at the debate yesterday, where are they today? Well, where are they? They're obviously not here because there's not enough cameras here. So what we need is we need real difference, we need real leadership, we need Reginald Tall for mayor of Toronto. Evening everyone, my name is Anthony Baruzza. First of all, I'd like to thank everybody for coming tonight and you folks for, for giving us an opportunity 
to share a little bit of ourselves and some of our ideas. Look, I started off as a carpenter. Like you, I'm an immigrant to this country. But this city was good to me. I got to be a city councilor. I love being a city councilor. Now, I want to step up and be mayor of the city of Toronto. Why? My focus is Torontoans. My compass is Torontoans. This is my this this is my son's friend looking for my son on my phone. I'll continue this a little later. And that was just uh, a bit of it. Um, my phone kept dying, so I had to. I couldn't get everything. I will point out I couldn't get the closing statements, but in Chloe's closing statement, she goes, she's talking about uh, uh, politicians that have been there before and have messed up the city, and then she turns and she looks at Giorgio and goes, "I'm talking to you, Giorgio." <laughs> oh shit! Oh my god! I wish I saw that. Yeah, sorry. What did what, what did he say? Uh, well, he was out of because you get two thirty second rebuttals, and <laughs> practically everybody had already yeah, no. used them by that point. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, oh, good shit, Chloe. So, for the main event this evening, I I know that you went to an event. And now I would love to hear all about it. Hell yeah. All right. So actually, it, it sort of uh, lends perfectly into my story of, you know, being undecided. Because on May 21st, I made a tweet about how I saw no point in advanced voting in this election because I really wanted to see where every campaign was ending up right up until election day. I didn't want a chance to make my vote. And then something happened that made me regret that choice. So, so I tweeted that thought out. And uh, former former guest, friend of the show, Beth Levy, sent me uh, a tweet message saying, <laughs> a tweet message. I know what a DM is. I'm cool, kids. It's fine. Uh, she had sent me a message inviting me um, to an event. I think she was aware that I've expressed some interest in, uh, in Josh Matlow. And she's very clearly pushing Josh Matlow. I'm offended. Uh, I didn't get an invite, but that's okay. <laughs> I've expressed clear interest, I think. And i that's what I said to you, I think, uh, that I've expressed, you know, this clear interest. So, you know, um, I got the address on Sunday. I, I made the trek over. Uh, and it was just, it was like a very intimate event. Um, you know, no more than 15, 20 people. And I mean, God, I was I was gonna text you at first uh, when I got there because I was feeling so so like awkward, like uh, I don't know how to like approach or talk to anyone. Um, it I'll tell you, it gradually it worked its way. I was you know I I always start feeling uncomfortable and you know melt away as as you know you work your way. Uh, so I talked to a few people there, you know, who are. You know, I got to have some good political conversations with just some some constituents. I mean, that's that's what we were. We were 
regular people. And, uh, you know, Josh showed up. It was, it was a backyard event, very personal. Um, and so at first he was sort of, you know, talking amongst different individual groups and, and then he, he sort of, he did it a thing where he, he got everyone together and he sort of did a something and did a bit of a Q and a, but before that, I, I, I was charmed. Listen, I, it's very easy to charm me. Um, so just before he spoke, I happened to be the closest person to him when he was doing his group chat thing. So he, you know, he quietly turned to me. I, you know, I shook his hand. I introduced myself very quietly. And, you know, he said to me, oh, I, I recognize, you know, you from online. I mean, first of all, the way he phrased that is so like, dad energy you know i recognize you from online like, i got a question i got a question do you think he was talking about your twitter account or the podcast i i think he's talking well oh you will enjoy i think this particular instance he was talking about my twitter okay. presence and i gotta tell you um the more i get people kind of saying that they recognize me uh based off my twitter there's half of me that's excited that's like, okay, I'm building a brand that's going beyond myself and people are recognizing me. And then there's the other part of me that's like, oh my God, the consequences of my actions. <laughs> and I, the specific thought I had was, I've been trolling Brad Bradford pretty hard during this mayoral campaign. And now it's sort of occurring to me that that man probably knows what my face looks like. <laughs> and... uh Probably has very strong opinions about me. It's 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 the double edged sword of notoriety. <laughs> so, and not to not to jump into um, really any of Josh Matlow's positions because we'll we'll get to to why I'm not going to repeat any of his things. In in I mean spoilers. We're hoping he get on the show, but I'll I'll get there afterwards. So. When he was done his like stump speech, his Q and A, he was probably talking for like forty minutes. He, you know, he's a very solid uh, presenter. Uh, he turned back to me, you know, and and we shook hands again. And I had the opportunity to to ask him some stuff, which was very cool. Uh, and specifically, I had mentioned that, um, you know, I appreciated that he was able to be honest about some stuff that. A lot of, I want to say, politicians are uncomfortable being honest about, uh, like taxation. Although, to be fair, we've talked to a lot of candidates during this election, you and I, and we've been open talking about taxation and all this stuff. Um, Josh Matlow has been open talking about taxation. He, um, The thing I said to him, the second thing I said was his ability to admit and not pretend that Doug Ford is this normal premier who is interested in Toronto's well-being. He's not. He fucking hates us. He, you know, he's he goes out of his way, he cuts counsel, he gives John Tory these powers that nobody knew he was asking for. He hates the city of Toronto. Just like cold, just cut. Um, so I did ask him about I didn't ask him about sh shifting money from the police budget because I I but I did ask him about 
how, what his view was on improving the service. And he, he did talk about making the, uh, you know, the mental health pilot, well, no longer a pilot for starters, which is great. It's good stuff. And again, I don't want to get too much into what his position was because, um, you know, we're hoping to get him on the show and ask him that stuff ourselves. But at the end of our conversation, you'd be so happy with me, Matt. I, I full on said to him, uh, Josh, I would love it if you'd come on to our podcast. And so working our way up from there, you know, more more chats, uh, you know, after that and after I got to talk to Josh, which, you know, jazzed me up because. Did you tell him the name of know, the podcast? Did you tell him the name? I did. No, actually, no. This is what's you're not even ready for this <laughs> oh. bit I'm about to tell you, Matthew. OK, so I ended yeah. up. Sitting between two members of uh, Matt Lau's campaign, uh, and they're the two people I I've emailed, uh, Has and Brett. Now, so we were just chatting, just random about you know Matt Lau policy stuff. I they wanted more of my impression on the campaign, like how it felt like they were coming off online and stuff. And I can't remember how we got to the conversation, but they were asking me, you know, what my deal was. And, and I explained, you know, I make a, a podcast about municipal politics. They're like, oh, cool. What's it called? Uh, so I say, the municipals. These guys, Matthew, your heart would have soared. These guys were like, the municipals. We were just talking about that in our meeting. Matthew, they're talking about us in campaign meeting. I love it. I knew you would. I love and it. Now, of course, in that moment, their main thing was, you know, we don't really know what their thing is, but they've heard our name. You know, obviously, I know you've reached out and they're talking about us. I wonder if they've got to be listening, at least snippets here and Isn't there. Isn't that so cool, though? It's so awesome. It blew me away. Just like just that moment of just <clears throat> shock of like, you realize you're kind of. You're you're. People are recognizing it. That's amazing. And it's going to go hand in hand with, uh, I forgot, there's one other thing. There's one other thing. There's a <laughs> gift that you sent me after we recorded last week. Actually, I think it was the day after. You sent me a tweet saying that in the next by-election for the provincial government. I forgot about this. That... The budget, the Toronto City budget chief, uh, Gary Crawford, is going to run in Mitzi Hunter's old seat for the Conservatives. And should he win... Which means I could be running! Which means if if he should win, which I don't know if, if people expect him to win, but that's a different story for another day, that opens up Ward 20, Scarborough Southwest, again. And this time, you... you potentially could have something that no other candidate would have. And that is two endorsements from two city councillors. Councillor Councillor Perusa and Councillor Matlow. Again, assuming that I can get him on and convince him. Actually, before I make this joke, uh, I would like everyone to know the subject line that I, I sent this email to, I included, because 
Matthew, Matthew is our guy in terms of contacting these people and, and arranging the stuff. I'm never sure what to say, but I, when I do have to say something, I do like to put a spin on it. So uh, I, I sent this subject, this, this email that was meant to be very professional to these two campaign staffers who I talked to on Sunday. This is my subject line. Bullying mayoral candidate Josh Matlow to appear on the Municipal's podcast and also declare himself my best friend challenge. Difficulty <laughs> level unknown. That is so awesome. Getting back, <laughs> get, getting back to the Gary Crawford thing, I got to hear what you... Do you want do you want him to win? Well, okay. It's a conundrum that's, for you, isn't it? That's it. Ultimately, Matthew, you're correct. This is a a real Sophie's choice. And I love the that I get to reference. I get to say that because uh it truly is. I'm not interested in the conservatives uh increasing their share of power in the province, but on the other hand, God, wouldn't it be fun to have another shot at city council? But, and one more thing, there is a chance, it occurs to me, uh, someone else pointed this out. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, Gary Crawford does not have to resign his seat to run for MPP, I've learned. Uh, the question of it being morally right or ethically right, not important at the moment. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. It's just, he doesn't have to resign. But... If he runs and wins without resigning, he doesn't get a severance. But if he runs, resigns, win or lose, he could win. He could resign and win, still get his severance, and then go on to be an MPP. Or he could just lose. But if he does that, if he resigns, we're going for a by-election either way. So there's a good chance of a Scarborough Southwest by-election. Matthew, I'm so glad you reminded me because I forgot. In my excitement about my, you know, soiree, my swanky, uh, you know, garden party, um, I completely forgot about the opportunity that Gary Crawford could be out. That's amazing. And, you know, I mean, we've said it since December. I truly believe that now that, well, not since December, I guess since John Tory resigned, I truly yeah. believe all the quote unquote older counselors will now start funneling out. And I'm talking about Francis Noon Ziada. I'm talking about, unfortunately, maybe, maybe the nightmare, Paul Ainsley. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm talking about Josh Cole. I'm talking about Michael Thompson. I'm talking about Vincent Crisanti. People and 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 uh, Gary Crawford and I, I, hey, one out of six ain't bad. <laughs> so far, you know, I feel like we could have an extraordinarily different council in twenty twenty six. Absolutely, and with that, I think we're we're good here. This is a good place to stop. I do, as always, or as I've tried to in the past few episodes, want to thank all our listeners. Uh, we put out the extra content for you guys this week, the debate. We're going to have the what Phil calls the Rob Ford in memoriam uh, episode. <laughs> We're going to release that before the – did we say before the election? Yeah, I think that was our plan, but we'll, we'll see where it lands. And uh, we're also going to um, – 
we're going to do a. We'll probably do this after the election, but we'll we'll do a personal episode, maybe uh, uh, half stories and maybe half Q and A. Um, and then and then that's it. And we all, like I said, we want to thank all our listeners. You know, everywhere from from Belgium, Italy, France, Saint Grenadines, and and the I can't remember the last of it. Uh, Honduras, actually, El Salvador, oh shit, Mexico, uh, Venezuela. Um, I'm I'm forgetting a few, but that's okay. Uh, in the states, you know, there's Ohio, Virginia, New York, California, Arizona, Alabama. Um, Are you doing a song now, right now? I, I'll try. North Carolina. <laughs> uh, there's there's others. I just I can't remember them all off the top of my head. And of course, it just it sounded like you were doing the rhythm of a. But I think it's like Animaniacs who did a a state song. We uh, we have uh, okay. I'll tell you this. I uh, to my knowledge, we don't have any listeners in Georgia, but we have some in Florida. So we need Georgia in order to do the Florida Georgia line. If that makes sense, I don't know. Okay, and then of no, course, no, no, that that makes sense. And then, of course, we want to thank all of our local homegrown listeners here in Ontario. We love all you guys. We, as we've said, we don't want your money. We want your support in terms of listening. Listen to past episodes. Listen to uh, present and obviously future. If you agree with us, that's great. You can tell us that. And if you don't, write us and tweet us and we'll read it on the air because we're that crass. (laughs) But anyway. Say nasty shit to me. (laughs) <laughs> no, don't please. I'm joking. You, 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 <laughs> you, you've been listening to too much, too much Jason Derulo. <laughs> Jason Derulo. You know who that is? That, that, yeah. Oh, okay. I wasn't yeah, sure. He, yeah, he does that at the start of every song. <laughs> oh, you know what? I think I'm actually thinking Sean Paul. All right. So for. <laughs> So for Phil and for Nia and for Irwin, thank you guys. We'll see you next week. This is the municipal. Have you been paying attention to like city stuff? Don't vote, can't bitch. Sorry to uh, to point that finger at you. My answer with that would be yes and no. My tummy hurts and I'm mad at the government. You're saying council wouldn't approve it. And two, you're robbing them of their their voice. It's it's he's already he's already failed to uh, multiple.